I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to season three of Queer I Am, the podcast, live and unscripted. I am so excited to share this with you. The podcast has been recorded over eight weeks in front of a live audience at Arco Baleno, an inclusive queer space in the heart of Kemptown, Brighton. I am so proud to be partnering with Arco Baleno and cannot thank Luciana, Nick and the whole team there enough for their support and generosity in the making of this season of the podcast. If you haven't been there before, please check it out. Not only do they have an incredible Maltese menu for you to explore, but they also have a range of cocktails, drinks, and a regular schedule of entertainment for you to enjoy. The podcast is also being supported by their production company, Across Rainbows Productions, and Film for YouTube. So if you didn't get to come to one of the live shows, you can find these videos at your leisure on the Across Rainbows YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, give the videos a like, and leave any comments you may have. We also had several authors participate in the shows and Kemptown Bookshop were on hand to sell signed books by the authors. You can check out this beautiful bookshop in the heart of Brighton, but make sure you take your credit card because you will not leave empty-handed. The shows feature a panel of guests where we'll be talking all things queer and an audience Q&A too, an opportunity for everyone to get involved in the conversation. In this episode, we'll be discussing queer shame. The show features best-selling author S.J. Watson, author Vineet Mehta, and photographer and designer Pierre Monoville. I hope you enjoy the show. So whatever you're up to, this is your time to settle down, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Queer I Am. everyone welcome to episode four of sorry it's all rolling into one of queer and the podcast live and unscripted um thank you all very much for coming smaller audience today but very intimate and very beautiful so we're gonna have a lovely evening i'm sure and lots of good conversation it's quite a heavy topic tonight um we're talking about queer shame um but i think it's a really um interesting topic and hopefully one that everyone will really kind of get lots from and we can all kind of give different insights into that topic as well um so i'd like to introduce my wonderful guests to you so we have pierre monoville who is an amazing um photographer and designer for a brand called unapologetic a round of applause 
Yes, I love this round of applause. We're feeling like there's a full audience here. Um, we have Vanit Mehta, who is uh, the author of Bisexual Men Exist. Round of applause, please. And we have best-selling author S.J. Watson. Are we calling you Steve tonight, though, or SJ? Steve? Steve. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, so, yes. And what I want to say as well is this is a safe space. So we have an audience Q&A after the interval um, where we want everyone to get involved, ask questions if you have any. Um, I'm also aware, though, that the topic, you know, hopefully won't be triggering, but can be triggering. So if anyone needs to just step away or just take a breather, get a drink, go in the garden, go to the loo, whatever, please do what you need to do. It's absolutely fine. We're recording this, but, you know, we have an audience, so if there's noise in the background, that's absolutely fine. It's not a problem at all. Um, so before I start with the formal conversations, I'm going to do what I do every week, and I'm going to ask you all to pick a song that reflects your mood right now, and Pierre and SJ will know about this. I think you struggled yeah, last time. Yeah, but I've forgotten... <laughs> <laughs> and I did tell you when you did a week's warning, so you forgot to remind me. I'm sorry. So if you had a song to reflect your mood right now, what would your song be? Something about being tired. If there's a song about being tired and having had a really heavy weekend, that would be the song. So if anyone can think of one. Any ideas? Zombie? Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, zombie. Zombie, okay. Yeah. I hate that song, but let's go with that, yeah. And did you have a nice week in France? Uh, I was in France, yeah, but that was. But I've been back. I've been to a wedding and a... 60th birthday party since then so wow. I feel a bit so like, very busy weekend yeah busy weekend but good. Okay. it's called good stuff isn't it okay amazing Benit um, so on the way here I was listening to music um, and I was listening to Palmore because anyone who knows me knows I do that a lot um, and I promise it's not because of how I actually feel um, but fake happy by Palmore I'm not fake happy I promise <laughs> I am actually happy to be here um, but the music is a vibe like okay. and it's really nice walking down like the pier and be like listening to that it's really like is it like good energy pump yeah pump. like the the whole album is very like yeah this is music that you can dance to but if you listen to the lyrics you'll cry you know i'm like i'm gonna focus on the music part i'm here to vibe <laughs> amazing love that pierre um it's gonna be a song called stimulation okay Roger murphy okay so, yeah, i've not heard of that what what kind of genre is that um, it's a bit to me. It's more like deep house kind okay. of thing. Yeah, deep house, amazing. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Fabulous. Movie. I should also say that we were due to have uh, Dave Lynn here this evening, but unfortunately he can't. Could you just make sure you put the microphone? Okay. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Yeah, a few weeks ago we had someone eating the microphone, so feel free to eat it if you need to. <laughs> I thought at one point they were going to go down on it, so it's, um, <laughs> you know, do what you need to do. It's fine. Um, has it been cleaned? <laughs> I hope so. I don't know. They've been in the box. I'm sure they're fine. There's a few nibbles <laughs> on mine, I think. <laughs> Literally, we sat there and he was like, proper like going for it. Um, hmm. I was going to say something to you. Oh, sorry, Dave Lynn. So we were supposed to have Dave Lynn this evening, but Dave Lynn unfortunately can't make the show. So um, that's a real shame because it's very excited to talk to them about their career and they have got a lot to offer the conversation but hopefully we'll get to speak again in the future but we have three amazing guests so thank you all very much so we're talking about the word shame so if you had a word to describe how the word shame makes you feel could you give me that word and i'm going to start with you steve oh god this is like an exam you didn't tell me it was like <laughs> this um a, a single word um, if, you have, if you had a like yeah like what 
or an emotion or a word, something that is evoked from that actual um, word? I, I think it would be something very banal. Actually, the, <laughs> in a weird kind of meta way, it would probably be shame because I sort of, I, I, I kind of feel I feel ashamed of feeling shame in a weird... I sort of think like I sort Yeah, at my age, I sort of feel like I should be over this now. And I almost feel... Maybe embarrassment is a better word than shame. But whenever, I, when I'm, whenever I'm conscious of feeling shame nowadays, I feel slightly embarrassed that I'm still not... You know, that I'm still experiencing this, I'm not over it. So let's go with embarrassment. OK. <laughs> OK. Vinit? I think frustrated. OK. Um... I think for a variety of different reasons. Frustrated that I still feel shame. Frustrated that someone has made me to feel shame. Mm-hmm. Um, frustrated that there's been something embedded into me or society structured in a way that I feel ashamed of mm-hmm. a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think shaming is irritating. Uh, so, yeah, frustrated. Okay. Pierre? Um, is this okay, eat enough? the microphone. Yeah. Come on, do it. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be shy. Uh, then I think for me is self-conscious. Self-conscious. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot more. I mean, it's also um, a bit of like contrasting emotions where I'm feeling a bit, you know, even though I feel self-conscious, but I also want to disappear and okay. to sort of blend in as much as possible. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. The word for me makes, I think it, the word I would use would be ugly. I think it's quite an ugly word, shame. It just it evokes a lot of kind of negative emotions and just feels a bit kind of. Do you know what I mean? So I've got a bit of like research now. This is this is the first time I've got some stuff to read. So this could go tits up, but we'll see what happens. So, have you all heard of Dr. Brené Brown? No. No. Sounds familiar. But Sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay. So I watched a TED talk with Dr. Brené Brown. She's amazing. She is from Texas and she studies shame. And she describes shame as an epidemic. And in her TED Talk, she says that we, um, when we talk about shame, shame has two tapes. So the first tape is, you're not good enough. And if you can talk yourself out of that one, it's, who do you think you are? And she continues in the TED Talk, and she says there's a difference between guilt and shame. So guilt is, I made a mistake. And shame is, I am a mistake. And when I listened to that, I thought that was incredibly powerful and the antidote to shame, which, you know, we'll come onto this in a bit more detail later, is empathy. Because when you have empathy, you can't feel shame. So I just wanted to know whether those statements resonated with all of you and if you had any thoughts about them. And I managed to read those without fucking it up, so I'm very happy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I think for me, like... I do remember really clearly when I, the first time I made that connection. I was, in fact, I was helped to make that connection by a therapist I was seeing. But um, that, that, yeah, guilt is about something you've done, and shame is about something you are. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the, to me, they kind of they they feel the same in my body. Um, but it was really helpful to kind of understand the difference between the two. Um, you know, and uh, I was talking earlier that some, you know, with a friend of mine who is in the audience, uh, you know, that actually all emotions can be helpful. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting thing to think about, about, you know, what, what positive can you take out when you feel shame, perhaps? Is, is it always a negative feeling? Yeah. It feels like, it, but I mean... Yeah. 
I guess that can help you lead to a solution of some kind. Yeah, or just, even if it's just, to, I suppose, to analyse yourself, to think about why you're feeling that in that particular situation. Do you have any reason to feel shame? Because I suppose what we're really talking about today, aren't we, is mostly, well, probably, I mean, it's up to you, obviously, but shame that is, we shouldn't feel. Because, mm. I mean, some people clearly ought to feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suspect that's not Tories, did you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I guess for me, this is about eradicate. I, I think it's about understanding that as a collective, you know, in our community, there has been a lot of shame thrown our way and we've probably internalised a lot of that. I personally have. And how do we eradicate that so that we live more freer lives? Mm. That's how I, I kind of see it. What about you, Vinny? Yeah, I definitely agree. I've never had it kind of stated out like that. So that's really interesting. Um, but I also think shame is how you've been made to feel as well. At least that was kind of my experience with shame. Um, and I don't know if this might be a very cultural thing, but like uh, the South Asian community loves to shame people. And so a thing that I had a lot growing up was uh, if I'm doing something or acting a certain way or whatever, it's like, they would say in Punjabi, we like, have uh, you have you no shame? Um, and it's it's about trying to make you feel bad about yourself um, and so you end up feeling the guilt, like you feel like you've done something wrong, you've made a mistake, but also you do end up thinking you're the problem. So you kind of get those both of those feelings because they're guilting you into feeling ashamed of yourself. Um, so yeah, it's it's very complicated, but it's really interesting to hear that distinction because I think they are two very different things, and guilt does is is something that is is um, maybe something that you should feel more because it's like oh I feel guilty for not helping my friend or feel guilty for doing xyz but shame is so often about you internalizing something that isn't good what's really interesting though is what that statement you just made do you have no shame and that's almost like it should be inbuilt within us rather than it's something that we're taught it's almost like it's that's a a completely different way of looking at it isn't it it's like you should carry shame to mask yourself or to filter yourself or to but actually, we not we don't have that as part of our DNA. It's something no. that we learn from yeah. other people. So I think that's yeah. a really interesting kind of term that you use there. Yeah, and it was, it was really common growing mm. up. I I heard it constantly, and it's so often about trying to get people to feel ashamed of a certain behaviour, to try and get them to conform to being like everyone else. Mm. It's to act a certain way, talk a certain way, behave a certain way. Um, so to not be loud, to dress a certain way. Um, I would hear it all the time, and especially women get it. used to get it a lot. So in my community, women used to hear it all the time. My sister had it all the time. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, thank you for that. Pierre, what are your thoughts? Well, my experience was um, being sort of socialised with shame, really, and with... Um, it, it was never expressed in words but the idea i've always got was you're already less than so you know don't you know be as be as nice as you can be you know be mm-hmm. be the best you can be so that you don't attract attention to yourself because you're already you know um less than mm-hmm. so that re- to me that was the birth of you know um internalized shame yeah almost like expectations are set yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well that was one of my questions i was going to ask actually so 
I, I've been thinking about this recently, about common things that I had when I was growing up, which maybe then led on to feeling shame about my identity and sexuality. So were there any common themes that you had growing up and going to school and from those, you know, that you can, or you feel comfortable relaying that maybe have impacted how you feel about yourselves? Shall I go first? Go first. <laughs> I mean, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, well, you know, I, I, was, I was born in the very early 70s, and so um, it, it was a kind of different world then. Um, and, uh, you know, I, the, the, the message I got all through my childhood was that was being gay was wrong, um, it was shameful, um, you know, it was disgusting, uh, the only acceptable... I mean, I remember growing the only accept, even vaguely acceptable um, representations of queer identity you would ever see would be John Inman and um, Larry Grayson and people like that. And I mean, and no disrespect to them, obviously, well, hopefully, obviously, but that I didn't feel any, anything to do with them. I didn't feel any um, overlap there. I didn't feel any um, kinship um, with, which, which also, I think, gave me, gave me a kind of... Um, a fear, a shame about campness. I was terrified of being camp because I camp I associated with Larry Grayson and John Inman and people like that. I didn't want to be that, so therefore I shouldn't be camp. And it's taken me... It's, there's a lot to unpick. I mean, you know, I wasn't joking when I said, how long have you got? I could probably talk about this all night. You know, and then, and then um, you know, for me personally, I kind of... My sexual awakening, you know, around 13 or 14 was in 1980... I was 13 in 1984. So, which was exactly when the AIDS crisis hit, you know. And so... Um, Every day it felt like, you know, I was being bombarded with messages about sex equals death, shoot the gays, put them on an island so they can go and, you know, not infect, you know. It was, and it was this, so it really, I think it went really deep for me. And, and I think for a whole generation of people, it went really deep that sex, gay sex was shameful, gay sex meant death. Um, you should be embarrassed, you should be ashamed of yourself, you should, you know, if you need, if you've got to do that kind of behaviour, then you should go off and do it somewhere um, out of public view. Um, so what was the question? And have I answered it? Well, just things you heard, <laughs> but I guess that's a really interesting... And, I'm, you know, I've been reading um, Paul Burston's book recently, mm. and he talks a lot about that that era. I mean, when you understood that you were gay and you had all that noise around you, you know, aside from shame... What were your feelings? Like how, how Just complete you... isolation. I mean, it, it, all I can really remember, I, I, I probably didn't realise it was shame at the time, but looking back, it was shame. Um, I mean, I remember thinking that I, not only did I think I was the only gay person in my school, uh, in my secondary school, I thought I was the only gay person that, that had ever been at that school and that there possibly ever would be. I, I didn't, I didn't realise there were probably two or three other um, people in my class who were gay or trans or whatever, you know. Um, I just felt very isolated and very um, like I was a bad person. Mm. And it's taken me a lifetime to unpick that, I think. And I'm mm. sometimes... I think this is what I was saying at the beginning, that the reason I'm kind of embarrassed about feeling shame now is because I sort of think... I think my subconscious goes, at my age, shouldn't I have worked this out yet? Shouldn't I have, like, conquered this? And, I mean, largely I have, you know. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> and I could have never... When I was sort of 17, 18, 19, I could never have dreamt that I would sit in, 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 in front of a group of people uh, on a podcast and talk about how I'm gay. Same, yeah. 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 Um, so, in many ways, I have conquered that. But it's been a lifetime project, and it's still ongoing. Do you think it gets easier with time? 
or, or is those moments where you're just pulled back into that? I think I recognise when I'm falling back yeah. into it, and I and I can stop myself a, a, to an extent. But there is still that. I still I still have that reaction, like. Um, you know, if I'm walking down the street and, and some guy cruises me, basically, my instant reaction is to look away. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't reciprocate. I find it very hard mm. uh, to reciprocate because, because the shame is it's kind of, it's in the reptilian brain. It mm. kicks in before anything else. Mm-hmm. Don't, be, don't appear to be gay. Don't look gay. Don't, don't you know, look away, look away, look away. Um, well, the brain, I guess, learns even though it's unhelpful sometimes, is looking for danger. Yeah, it's looking a protective to protect mechanism, yourself. yeah. But... Yeah, because it, those... where I grew up especially, I think, mm. you know... Um, well, I certainly felt that if I'd have been obviously gay, and certainly if I'd have been obviously... I mean, I was quite a camp child, but I sort of... Looking back, I realised I was quite camp, but I kind of um, destroyed that part of myself, which I'm, I feel quite sad about, really. Mm. Um, were, you, were you shamed for being camp? Because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was bullied at school, I was told... This is turning into therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> I was bullied at school, I was by my... By my um, well, actually, by the teachers as well, you know. The classic thing about, especially the PE teachers. But, you know, um, I was the puff who would... And even, even before I realised I was gay, I was the queer, I was the puff, I was the, all the, you know... Who was, um, um, you know, his, his parents... His mum dressed him in pink because she wanted a girl and that's why he's like he is. You know, and when I was kind of being bombarded with that, I tried to be... I tried to destroy that part of myself, I suppose. So, yeah, it was... Yeah. The noise is so strong, isn't it, I think? And I those comments you're making, I mean, even though... I guess I start to understand more about my sexuality within my teens. All of that stuff, even like when I became an adult, if someone would say to me, "Oh, you're you're so gay," or "You're really gay," you know, those stupid statements. Yeah, instantly but it kind of, you yeah. kind of like your shoulders and you feel yourself just because on it, it, I think it activates these these neural pathways that mm. we've that are so ingrained about self protection because you know we're worried that if we if we don't hide that part of ourselves we're going to get attacked which is kind of ironic when i'm down legends at three o'clock in the morning you know but i still i it's still actually i'm usually too drunk by that point but you know that, that's maybe that's why i drink <laughs> yeah. kind of just destroy that reptilian response so well, i think I it doesn't sort of... just go away it's, it no, takes, takes no. time what no. about you Vinny? i was just going to say that like yeah i feel the commonality is so often about masculinity and even when you aren't doing anything particularly unmasculine, if you do anything that kind of strays out of this norm, you are immediately called gay. You're immediately said that... And the reason why is that you're saying... They're trying to say that you're doing something bad. They're trying to say that you're doing something that is unmasculine. Um, and that's so often the correlation. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, I didn't play Call of Duty. It sounds so stupid, doesn't it? I didn't play Call of Duty and I didn't play football. Therefore, I'm gay. That was it. It's like, oh, you like... Mario, you're, you're, you're playing the Wii? Mm, mm, don't know about that. Um, and it sounds so stupid, but it was just bandied around constantly. Um, and I think that that's so often the commonality is that even before you know yourself, even before you know your identity, even before you come out, it's so often about, even if you're not overtly feminine, it's just a, a single step out of line mm-hmm. for masculinity has everyone kind of ostracizing you in a way, sh- shaming you, shunning you, um, and trying to to bring you back in the line, like trying to make you want to cut that off, mm-hmm. um, which some people do, and some people just go, I mean, what I did, I was like, 
Peace. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go hang out with the losers and the rejects, if that's okay. I think it's it's quite misogynistic, isn't it? And it's quite it's almost like Very. you know, feminine or female or you know, it's if you're an easy target, it's what you know. And I think sometimes as well, I try and give people the benefit of the doubt. Not always, but the people that bully or the people that say those things, is it easier to be a bully than risk being the different one? So if you assert yourself as the person that's saying the slur or it doesn't make it right, but actually everyone's got something kind of going on. So as kids, is it like, right, I've seen what's going on with that person, protect myself and become the twat, basically, who then's going to say it to everyone else. But it doesn't make it any easier, does it? It's still a really difficult thing to kind of have to have to go through. What about you, Pierre? What kind of things were... I mean, we've obviously had conversations about shame. We talked about this at a great length on the podcast for season two, but are you happy to share about your experiences? Yeah. Um, when I was at school, really, I remember that it, um, it wasn't bad. I mean, it, it was bad enough to be gay, obviously, but I remember that boys had to prove that we were not gay. So there was, like, you know, this sort of um, constant pressure really or obsession to sort of you know um not be myself i really i always had to think oh you know how will i be perceived how will i be you know uh, seen and that was that was um um that was really hurtful and um um i really didn't didn't enjoy my childhood and even teenage years mm. I, I was i was really looking forward to growing up I feel like it's a real damned if you do, damned if you don't situation as well, because like either you toe the line, you give in to the shame and you conform to everyone else, and you're not going to be happy, or you reject it, carry on being yourself, and you just be get relentlessly bullied. Yeah. And neither one of them have fun situations. Like anyone who enjoyed high school, like you probably peaked there, let's be honest. Like, I don't know anyone who's enjoyed high school, and it's because all well, my friends are queer. It was not a fun time for anyone. I think the interesting thing as well is uh, you talk about looking forward to adult years. I, was, I remember sitting there, I, stupidly, I don't know why I did this, I chose PE as a subject for my GCSEs. No, I found yeah, that quite so like, that's, <laughs> a, that's a you problem right there. It's ridiculous. I thought it was like going to be really easy, and, and I just literally, they used to like kick the football at me and like call me a puff or whatever else. So I hated it. So I think I had like a bad knee for about 18 months. Honestly, it was really bad. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't laugh. I, I got a really, really bad grade and everything. It's just that you um, chose it. I know. <laughs> You're like, know. I'm going to pick pain. <laughs> I, was too mu- I was too much for the drama department, so they wouldn't let me in. Um, but so I remember sitting there in the bar thinking, 26 weeks left at school, 25. And I, you know, you internalize that. And, you, and I remember counting how many weeks I had left because then I only had so many PE lessons. And then when you get older and you go, well, actually, you know, sod the bullies, I'm going to be myself, you understand who you are, you then come out. But then what? Like, you come out and it's like, well, how do I now live? Who who am I? What does this mean? How do I interact? And then you realise as well that there's actually so much shame in the community. And I guess that's because we're all trying our best and we're all going through the same stuff. But... I think you have to be really careful who you surround yourself with because some people that you think are friends or you think are going to be a really good help end up causing more damage than the people maybe that, you know, were in your life before. And I I definitely felt that when I first came out. Mm. Um, 
I think it's it's a really tricky situation to, to kind of be in. Vinny, in your book, um, obviously you've written a book based on the fact of, you know, questioning our identity and then ridicule, erasure, everything that you felt as a bisexual man after the event. And this book is available today, by the way. It's on the bookshelf over there. So please feel free to take a look later. Um, but can you share your experiences of, you know, coming out as bisexual and the impact that had on you with regards to the topic we're talking about today. I mean, did, did it did it enhance a sense of shame? Or do you feel that there was a it was you were misunderstood, or what, what was your experience? Uh, definitely didn't have the sense of shame. I wish it did. Um, I think a lot of people think that. I think like bisexuality is easier, um, and I I just wish that was the case. Um, but if anything, it's more confusing because it's just not as present. Uh, you just don't see it as much. And, you know, even even when, um, I mean, it's, it's not better, but even when you're a kid, you're, you're hearing gay. You're hearing in an aggressively negative sense, but, like, you know it exists. I've never heard the word bi. And so it meant that I was going through high school and I was basically identifying as straight. No one believed it, obviously. I was still getting ridiculed and called gay all the time. Um but I was identifying as straight because I just, I didn't understand what I, what I was. I was like, oh, that guy's hot, but also I hate every single guy in this school because they're all awful people. Um, but all of these girls are really hot and I have crushes on them, but also they don't even look at me. Um, but also what the hell does that mean? And I was just like, maybe it's hormones, maybe it's puberty, maybe it's all of this. Maybe because I just hate my body so much that maybe it's because I want to be them. Um, which I'm sure is something that everyone can relate to. And so it's really difficult when you don't even have the language to understand who you are. Um, and so I was having the shame for my, my feelings towards men whilst just having constant like lack of knowledge and no understanding and confusion going on on the fact that that wasn't my only feelings. And it wasn't until I was like 17 that I finally understood that this was a word that existed but it was because someone came out as bi-curious and guess what? She was shamed. Uh, everyone said, stop stop uh, playing both. Stop, you know, making something up. Just say who you really are, blah, blah, blah. They were, they were saying, you know, if you're, if you're lesbian, just say it. We'll accept it. And I'm like, you absolutely won't accept it. Let's start there. Um, so it was incredibly difficult. And I didn't come out until I was 25 because I didn't understand what it was. I didn't know what it was, then I didn't understand that it was something I could be, because I just never saw it. Um, and all I would hear when people do mention it is, that's not real. Uh, you'll come out as something else in the end. Um, and it's something I still hear today. And when I then entered the community, thinking that it would be easier, it wasn't. Um, and I think the thing that I really learned after coming out in the community and being part of it for a couple of years is that people are trying their best, but you have to remember where they came from, which is built up in a heteronormative society. And therefore, the community is so often just a microcosm of like society at large. We learn all the same things, all of those same things become embedded into us. And all of that baggage and all of that trauma and all of the, the stuff, we need to unlearn it as well. And... It's difficult to do that, and not enough people are doing that or are able to do that, um, which then means that the hurt is replicated, 
And it hurts a lot more because of the fact that you think, oh, safe space. And then I was like, oh, no, not safe space. Also shamed her, also told to be something else. Do you think it's getting better for the bisexual community in terms of visibility and more positive role models? Uh, yes and no. Um, there's definitely increase in, in role models. There's definitely increase in terms of, you know, by pride has got an incredible amount of funding. Um, there's There's been a big push in recent years but at the same time a lot of the the grassroots organizations are still struggling a lot um they're often run on a shoestring um some more community decide to take notice of them more and starting to give them more time energy resources money whatever but it's still really really difficult because what what i always see online is the same conversations repeating themselves just last week, there was bi versus pan debate going on because Grazia decided that it would be a great idea to put out an article about what is bi versus pan. And I'm sitting there and going, we have the highest mental health like issues out of everyone in the community. Can we, can we focus on that? No one cares what bi versus pan is. This isn't an inane conversation that isn't helping us. We have high rates of HIV because... A lot of us don't go out into the community. We aren't accessing those resources. We have high issues of mental health uh, issues. We're, those are the conversations you should be focusing on. Um, and so you see these conversations have repeated over the last decade, the same ones from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And it's because our community still doesn't have the same level of standing, which means that we haven't been able to successfully eradicate those narratives so we can move on to the more important things. And so we're stuck. We're stuck doing bisexuality one-on-one all the time. It's like, oh, bisexuality means you're attracted to cis men and cis women. It's like, no, that's not what it means. That No, no, it means attraction to your own gender and other genders or attraction to more than one gender. Uh, you're still having to explain to people that, yes, you can be non-binary and bisexual. Yes, you can do this. Yes, you can do that. Um, and no, we're not all cheaters. And it's just, it's so, like, you, you go through it all and you're just like, I can't believe I'm still saying this. I guess the, the thing is as well is that we have so much more terminology in the community now as well, don't we? So, you know, there's a lot more voices and a lot more representation. And I think that I've said this on loads of the episodes that I've done, but I think if people ask questions, as long as they're respectful, that's okay to ask. But I think if people are ignorant and just make sweeping statements and don't get what they're talking about, then they've got to educate themselves because it's exhausting for anyone to have to go through that really, isn't it? I think as well, I mean, something you really mentioned there around kind of hierarchy, and we have mentioned this before in one of the other episodes, do you all think that there is a hierarchy within the queer community? Piers nodding. What are your thoughts, Pierre? Um, when um, when I came out, eat I the reala- microphone, Pierre. Oh, there when I came out, thank you. I realized that I grew up with colorism, so you know the the lighter your skin is, the more prestige you have. So when I came out and I started um, spending time in the gay community with other gay men, I really noticed how it was very similar. You know, so obviously it wasn't about whiteness, but it was about what people call straight acting, you know, or like this obsession with masculinity. So um, to me, it's the same same mechanism where we sort of internalize the sort of um, um, the criteria of, of you know, um, that people used to oppress us, basically. So. Um, 
I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. I guess it's all built on the, what you were saying about the structures of society and actually if yeah, you're but... deemed to be less than what is the bar is set, how do you make yourself so you don't you don't fall or you you know you're seen in the cell. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Way. Yeah, so I think can... they just they just replicate themselves in our mm. society. Um, I I often use the word gatriarchy because I think that the community is so often dominated by gay men. Um, you know, you have like like LGBTQIA plus bars you go in there good luck finding a single queer woman you would more likely find a straight bestie woman than you would a, a gay or bisexual or, or queer woman um, I, I think it's so often dominated by white people um, I remember going into these spaces and being like oh okay um, and you're in the middle of central London so it shouldn't be like that at all um, and there's often the, the mask for mask. You get that a lot. You get the, you got to have abs and a certain body. Um, there's, there's so many criteria that we, we put on a pedestal. And it's, it's not unique to our community. It's the same ones that exist in society. You think about what models so often look like, where they expect women to look like this and men to look like that. 
um, and you get stuff like body dysmorphia and you get, um, I think they say big morphia for men where they're like trying to constantly bulk and get bigger. Um, there's a lot of issues and it doesn't just exist in the queer community, but it's, it's difficult to exist in a space where you're, it's so often coined as like safe space mm. and you think I can be here and then you go, oh God, it's the same bullshit. Um, and it, it becomes really visceral. Why do you think that there's less visibility of queer women and bisexual people in queer spaces? Is it because there is a dominate, domination by kind of gay men or is it because they just don't feel comfortable? Or, you know, what, what's the, what do you think the reason is? I think it's a mix of all of that, really. Mm. I think it's, it's lack of feeling comfortable. It's just even looking at the space and you go, oh, that's not for me. That's clearly not a space where it's for me. Um, people probably make assumptions as well, where they're like, oh, this woman's coming into the space. She must be straight. And we're like, oh, let's talk about men together. You know, like, um, it's that those assumptions. Um, women often also experience misogyny in these spaces as well. And it's, it's not one way, because sometimes women don't act appropriate to gay men. They go, you're gay. It doesn't matter. I can touch you wherever. <laughs> um, but like... I know multiple queer women who've said that they've been groped by gay men in queer spaces um, because they go, well, I'm not attracted to you, so I can touch your boobs. And it's like, please still do not touch my boobs. Yeah. Um, it's not okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of different levels of why um, queer women don't feel comfortable. And I think for bi people, I think it's, it's difficult because if you go into those spaces, like some of these people aren't out. Mm. And sometimes it's really difficult to be out as a bisexual person because of what it often leads to. So for bisexual women, it can often lead to being grossly fetishized, which often leads to violence. Mm -hmm. uh, for bisexual men, it so often means that you are erased and shown to us being a gay man, which often means that you get erased and you get cut off from everything. So often women won't want to date you. And it's like, am I ready to give up never dating a woman for the rest of my life? Because yeah. no woman's going to want to touch me with a 10-foot pole after that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm very aware that I, I'm not bisexual. So please do tell me if I'm wrong. I don't want to kind of be disrespectful. But it seems to me that society always centers men yes. around sex. So if you're a bisexual man, society will view you as a gay man who hasn't quite gone the whole hog yet, but will. Yeah. And if you're a bisexual woman, I think society sees you as basically a straight woman who likes, who will have sex with another woman to titillate a man. Yeah, yeah, it's almost. And a, so, it, yeah. I, you know, it's it's interesting hearing you talk because I'm just thinking. I think the common perception um, is that gay, uh, sorry, bisexual people have the best of both worlds. Yeah. But it sounds, listening to you tonight, that actually you have the worst of both yeah. worlds. You're not really accepted by the straight or the gay community, yeah. which is, you know, obviously... Because so often people go, oh, it must be so easy to date. And it's like, no one wants to touch us. Um, but no, I, I write about that in my book, that there's a concept called phallocentrism, which is like being penetrated by a penis, like alters your being. And you think about how virginal women are often uplifted in a certain way. It's because they're seen as pure, because they haven't been changed been altered mm. there's often that narrative of when a penis penetrates you something changes within you which doesn't happen when you have sex with a woman apparently um you're just you're the same guy we talked about this earlier didn't we because last week on the show we were talking about um has everyone had the term gold star gay and pl platinum gay and 
basically really transphobic, really biphobic. And the I Kissed a Boy is the new show on BBC Three, which is easy, an easy watch if you just want to just on a leisure mind and just kind of watch something. But they were talking about that last night. Have you ever slept with a woman? Have you, oh, you're, are you a gold star gay? And, and it's, again, I don't know if people realise Oh, is, the that, is that the thing where people say you're a platinum gay if you were born by a cesarean? C-section. Yeah, I mean, and that one's really of, fucking it's weird. Just, it's just, who invented <laughs> this stuff? Really like, who sat there and thought, right. It sort of feels like the thing was invented as a joke and then somebody took it seriously yeah. and now it's become a oh, thing. Oh yeah, gold star gay, yeah. yeah. surprisingly like, proud of it. It's like, I've never touched one and it's like it's not gonna bite like jesus chill out what the and they just don't seem to understand that that is misogyny in action as well yeah but it's just it's those kind of comments though that again they then bring shame it's like right so i'm less than because yeah i, I mean i remember years and years ago this was i would speak to a friend of a friend who was he was um in in, in quite distressed and quite upset and he i was like what's the matter and he was like well there's this uh, woman at work. He 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 was a gay man, and he was this, there's this woman at work, and I, I find her really attractive, and I think I want to have sex with her. And, and I was like, okay, um, I mean, you know, we all we all get unrequited love and all that kind of stuff. And he was, no, 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 she likes me too, and she wants to have sex with me. And I was like, okay, I I'm not really sure I'm seeing the problem. And he was like, well, I'm gay. And it's sort of, it's so kind of it, it, the shame of like you have to choose. And I, I don't, I get the sense that that's better now maybe but there's this thing about having to choose where you are on the spectrum and sticking to it and kind of i don't know um there's more conversation now about there being a spectrum isn't there whether it be gender identity sexuality fluid i suppose absolutely but that's you know those natural feelings that person has and and also we talked about this a few weeks ago about like the the gender unit have you heard of the gender unicorn or the yeah. gingerbread yeah. person. <laughs> so basically, it's like you know, sexual attraction, romantic attraction, identity, sex assigned at birth, and it's you know the correlation. They're all they're they're not really interlinked. They're all working independent of each other. So that person could have had a real strong romantic attraction. Maybe it would have turned out that it wasn't sexual, but it might have been. But it's like we have like these boxes where we go right. So I'm gay, so I should only like this, and I can't like that. And it's just like obsessed with categorization. Yeah, like you. You are this, and therefore you must only do this thing. And you know, people always go, "Well, you're straight, so you like." For, uh, there's some straight men who sleep with men, and they say, "Oh, well, then you're gay." And they say, "Well, he, he can still identify as straight if he wants to. Actually, it's okay. Self-identification is a thing that you put on yourself. You could we can have a conversation about why you're identifying as straight and the shame that you're experiencing around that. But ultimately, identity is a personal thing." Um, if you are 99% attracted to women, but you've slept with men a few times, like, that's okay. Um, and I think, yeah, it's this weird obsession with, with categorization and going, you must sit in this box. Um, and I think this is, this is a, a interesting conversation I've had with a few people, which is about the whole born this way narrative. Um, which is incredibly important for the community in so many ways because it helped us fight for our rights, it helped us prove that who we are and all of this stuff. But ultimately, it shouldn't be about the fact that we were born this way. We should have those rights anyway because we are human people who deserve them. Mm. Uh, And even if we decide that we want to be gay, that should be okay. And often what it means is it doesn't leave room for that fluidity because if you go oh, I identified as gay, but now identified as bi, or vice versa, people go, people shame you for it. Like, oh, so now I I know someone who identified as gay and then started identifying as bi. 
They were called a traitor. They're like, you're a traitor. You've abandoned us. And it's like, because I realized who I actually was, because I learned more about myself, because I understand myself better. And it does so much harm in a way as well, because people then pile on that shame of going, well, you've, you are this, you've got to stay this, you've got to be this now, you're in that box. Do you think that we're so fixated on labels because of the whole safety needs? Like, if stay in your lane so that, you know, because if you've already made a decision of, I'm di- or not made a decision, but you've identified that you're different, is it then too risky to, you know, be fluid? Or So it's very much like, stay in your lane, don't cause a fuss because already I've had attention drawn to me, does that come from our experiences of maybe what we've had in the past, do you think? I mean, I wonder whether it's, it's partly because of the way that society sh- tries to shame you if you're in any way other than cisgendered and straight. That, so uh, my experience, anyway, I think because you fight against that, um, as it, well, actually, because you shame yourself, you allow yourself to be shamed. And when you eventually kind of decide, no, I, I am going to live my life authentically and I'm going to come out, it almost feels like to then change your mind about what you are. I'm not saying you are necessarily changing your mind, but then to be seen to be changing your mind about what you... You know, you've, you've fought to identify as gay. So then to think, well, actually, maybe I'm a bit bi, feels like a bigger step, you know, I've kind of, I don't know, I'm probably talking rubbish. But I think it's all part of society. If, if society didn't shame us into feeling bad because of the way we feel, we would just be like, we are, I am what I am, and I sleep with who I sleep with, and, yeah. I, and I fall in love with who I fall in love with, and what, who fuck cares, really, you know? Probably it shouldn't matter, the labels, you know? No. Um, you know, I, 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 I want a world where you think, well, you know, I, some, I fall in love with people, and, or I want to have sex with people, and who cares what, you know? Identity, gender, everything. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Problem politics. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only. Yeah, that's yeah, the that's kind of. One. Yeah, that's. <laughs> like I feel like labels, because of the world we live in, end up being so important because it helps you f- understand who you are, find your community, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they're also, I mean, the language in itself is just made-up words that we just spit out of this mouth, right? And I always find it really weird when people go, well, that means this and that means that. And I'm, I'm like, it's all made up. It's just garbled sounds we're making. We've just decided to assign it as something. Like a dictionary is a made up thing that we've invented. You, you remember that, right? And so I think ultimately the goal is to dismantle all of it. Yeah. Um, which I think a lot of people, well, I don't think a lot of people would disagree. There's some people would disagree but ultimately, it's, it's about dismantling all of these structures. It's about dismantling what is masculinity and femininity anyway? What is male and female? What is, what is gay and straight? You know, just dismantling all of these binaries, all of these structures and just existing and being whatever just you Just living, want to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Steve, I'm really interested to know, and something you mentioned earlier about the... Um, sorry, my back's a bit sore. Oh. Um, you mentioned earlier about... Um, coming out or identifying about your sexuality in the 80s and then obviously you know that was a horrific time for the community the 80s and the early 90s in terms of you kind of growing up coming out and and then having the experience you've had today do you think that things have changed in the UK in a positive way like do you have you seen that actually it was a hard time, but things have evolved and are, there is kind of light at the end of the tunnel or do you still think there's a long way to go in certain respects? 
That's probably a really hard question to well, answer. Well, yeah, but. I mean, I don't... I, I think it seems to me that things are better. You know, I have friends who are a lot younger than me and their experience is very different. Um, and I think they... It, it feel, I mean, I'm very cautious because, you know, I'm not living their, their lived experience, obviously by definition, but it, it feels like they don't have the same um, constant bombardment of negativity about being gay and wanting to sleep with your own gender um, or being bi. I mean, you know, um, it feels better, but I don't know. I think there are, dif there are different challenges now, I think, um, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know. I think the things that I struggled with probably, hopefully are better. I mean, I don't know. I, without, you know, being 25 now, I, don't, I couldn't really answer that question. It feels, it feels better. I mean, the conversations I have with my friends who are a lot younger than me, they, they, they seem to struggle less with um, these issues. But, the, but then, you know, I've, I live in a bubble. I've, I live in Brighton and... Before that, I lived in London. I don't know if people who grew up in um, Stourbridge in the West Midlands where I grew up, I don't know if their experience is that much better. Possibly not. I don't know. I hope so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I hope so. Okay. I just think it's a really interesting time and to have seen so much during that time today, it's, it's one of those things you look back on and we have reminders through, you know, TV programmes and books and all of that kind of stuff. But I guess to have lived and come out during that time, it just, for me, I was, you know, I was very young at that point. So I didn't have that experience. My kind of childhood experience in school was probably the tail end of that. And, you know, I left a few years before Section 28 was repealed, mm. but it still impacted my schooling. In terms we of haven't even talked about Section 28. Section 28 yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's yeah. a biggie. Yeah. Um, an interesting fact about Section 28, something I was doing some some research on, was that, um, so have you all watched the, has everyone watched the the Conservative Party conference where Margaret Thatcher does that speech? You know, inalienable, the inalienable, inalienable right, right to, to be, be gay, gay, yeah. To, pro to protect children. Mm. And the stats of this year, so hate crimes, 91% of people that experience a hate crime don't report it mm. because they don't believe that anything will be done. And I was reflecting on that and I was thinking how many of those people are the children that she set out to protect? You know, and obviously it was a load of bullshit, but it's it's just, that leaves a mark, doesn't it, that kind of stuff? And again, it's more shame and the more stuff we experience. So I just think looking back, things probably have changed a great deal, but I think there's still lasting legacies from those times, whether it be the AIDS and HIV epidemic or whether it's Section 28. Um, but I just think it's a really interesting concept to think about how much has changed and whether experiences of your own are... Yeah, but it's, I think it's also, we are, it feels like we're going backwards now and, and ret you know, almost returning to those times. That's what I worry about. Um, and, you know, because hand in hand with the, with the kind of epidemic of shame, um, there was also a lot of activism, um, which there still is, obviously, but... You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be that person, but I am going to say it. You know, I remember the days. But I remember the days when you know, um, London Gay Pride. It was a protest. It was a march. It was free. You know, you didn't have Kylie headlining or whoever. You know, it 
it, it was probably a bit shit compared to, you know, in terms of the entertainment value, but it, it was a real kind of um, political act, yeah. It was on, I think, Brockwell Park. I remember one in particular, you know. Um, but it, And it was really liberating. It was quite a small affair. It, it was, you know... Um, People were going, allies were going, you know, there were families with their kids, and, which is still are. I mean, that still all will exist, obviously. But it, it just feels the kind of corporatization of that, that we've lost. I worry about, um, we all like a party, you know, obviously, and pride should be a celebration, and it is, and that's great. But also, I think we have to be aware that thing, rights that we've gained, can, we can lose, and things can go backwards. And I, th I think, especially if you look at what's happening in America with the kind of backlash against, you know, <clears throat> the, the drag um, scene and, and um, you know, all books being removed from libraries and stuff, you know, when, the, 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 the whole cliche about, you know, when America coughs, we catch a cold over here. It's kind of true. And I think we have to be really, really aware of that um, um, winding back of the rights that we've gained. I don't know if that even answers the question you it asked. Does, I think no, I it just does. felt like and I, I wanted to say something. different ends to it as well. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, I, I completely agree that I think there's so much, there's so much movement that we have made, but also the fight is so far from over. Um, and it does feel like we're coming, coming back to it. Um, you see all the transphobia in the media at the moment, and it just feels like, recycled homophobia from the 80s it's the same stuff about like they're a danger to your kids and all of that sort of stuff um and it's it's history repeating itself but because people don't know queer history people don't realize that it is history repeating itself um and so we're back we're back here and like you everyone should be fighting for trans rights but the like you should be fighting for them because they're they're your allies and you know they're part of the community but some people don't seem to, to understand that they will also come for everyone else next. They're already being like, and fuck the B too. Um, and they're going after Jag Time story hours. There's been like uh, every, every, I think it's in uh, Honor Oak or something like that. It's every single time they do Jag Queen story hour or whatever it's called, there is a, a bunch of basically fascists protesting against it. It is... They're coming for everyone. They're just pretending that they're only coming for trans people to support the LGB, but eventually it's going to be the LG and then the and then the G and then the nothing. They're coming for everyone, and it's so important to fight it because we've made so much headway. We've made with the decriminalisation. We've uh, you know equal marriage and Section Twenty Eight, um, and. Things are changing so much now because you think about, you know, I went into high school in 2003, fight after it was repealed, but I still didn't get any education because it was the early days. They're not going to update the curriculum like that. But now, now they are. It's, it's still limited in some respects. I mean, yeah. some schools are still fighting to not teach... Um, but you know, it's, relationships it's, yeah and, yeah but it's mandated which is great the mm. mandatory education on on queer relationships is so important and mm. the fact that it is mandated is incredible mm. but that can so easily be stripped away especially with the government we have it's so easily stripped away and it's so important to fight it i mean the problem is is you know if you're fighting it politically who who are you going to pick because there's no one um and 
it's it's so difficult because I think a lot of people are very comfortable right now. It's it's very much this sort of assimilation mindset of like, well, we're one of the normal people. We're part of the team. We can get married and have kids. It's all cool. We can just live that normal life. Uh, and it's like, yeah, they, they, they're coming for you too. They're going to take your kids away from you. They're going to disillusion your marriage. Like, it, it's happening. It will happen. Um, and people go, crazy conspiracy theory. And I'm like, you'll see. <laughs> you'll I, also, I also think there's like a, there's a perception amongst, I hate to say the straight community, but you know, that, that sort of we've, we've, we've won, we've, we can get married now, we can adopt children, all that. Yeah, what, shouldn't and, you be and, happy? Yeah, yeah, you know, when is it going to stop? Why aren't you just taking the piss a little bit? And they don't look at the suicide rates, they don't look at the epidemic of kind of alcoholism and drug abuse in the, in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so I just I, you said that as I was sipping my wine. Well, <laughs> I'm desperate for another one. Um, um, yeah, but I mean it's it's a it's a huge it's a huge issue, and and I think yeah because we've we've in in many ways not every way but in many ways we've won equality. I think a lot of people are oh, for fuck's sake can't you just be happy? And it's no, it's you know we're still fighting. Do you Pierre? Do you think that so one thing that I've been thinking about is like shame cycles? So. We feel shame, we shame ourselves, we shame other people, the cycle kind of continues. And I think that's probably quite prevalent in our community, in loads of different communities as well. So how do we stop those shame cycles? How do we look after ourselves and give ourselves the self-care that we need to change that way of living, I guess? Well, I I wish I knew. But um, I think, well, what I do, I try to treat myself like a friend, really. Um, and uh, yeah, try to encourage myself, try to sort of, you know, um, be supportive to other people. And um, yeah, just try to um, create a safe space for people to be themselves, really. So, um, and you did a recent YouTube kind of counseling series, didn't you, with, was it, with a therapist? Yeah. yeah. And that was all about shame, yeah. mental health. How did that, how did that go? Did that help do you find that a, oh, a yeah. good experience yeah oh god yeah 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 well my idea was first of all obviously to get some therapy but also i thought you know how many black gay foreigners do you see in shows like that so you know the simple fact that that's a possibility i thought well why not try you know uh, and then um I never thought there would be, you know, such liberation by telling my story on some sort of platform, really. Um, so, um, um, and apparently that inspired some of the people too. So it's so it's really, uh, it? yeah. I'm so humbled by that. That's really. was it. Really healing for you as well, the process. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Mm. yeah really. I think we have to talk, don't we? It's like these conversations are important. People speaking up and talking about this and calling out shame and what we experience, I think, is, is really important. So I think that's, that's amazing what you did there. And, and the, the paradox also, I thought, I found was talking about shame, about my shame, lessened it. Right. So that I never thought that talking about what I'm ashamed of mm-hmm. would actually heal me, but it did. Calling it out as such, mm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're all artists in your own ways. You've got some writers, you're a photographer, and obviously you make clothing or design clothing. How much do you think 
your art has helped you with a sense of or has it helped you with a sense of identity and also an eradication of shame or reclaiming like a truth because for me having you know doing this podcast doing writing I find that it helps me to process those thoughts and feelings and get comfortable so and I think I always find it really interesting that there's a lot of artists that you speak to and there's always a story behind their art in some kind of way so do you think that it's helped you process your sense of shame over the over the years everyone's nodding Steve's contemplating yeah I am contemplating (laughs) I'm not sure um it's only it's only in the last I would say two years really that my um that I've started to to write in a slightly more autobiographical way I mean all fiction is autobiographical to an extent just to, even if it's just to the extent of you've chosen to write that story, not that story, you know, there's a reason you've made that decision. Um, but, you know, my, the three books I've published so far have all, have all featured main characters that were straight white women, <laughs> which I'm not. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I, don't know, I, don't know, I, I don't know why that is. I don't think there's a particularly deep reason for that um i don't think i'm avoiding it i've been avoiding anything i think i've just but but yeah the the work the, the kind of the books i've i've written um a book and a half neither of which have been published yet but that do deal much more directly with my sexuality in particular um and i think yeah i'm starting to it's only now i'm starting to realize that how powerful that can be the writing about it. So 50-50 at the moment, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I'm on the, I'm on the fence, on the fence. But about to decide which way to fall, yeah. But even, I guess, if the books you wrote before weren't directly related to your sexuality, the very art of following a passion and doing what you really want oh, to yeah, do... Oh, yeah, absolutely, I yeah, guess that yeah. must enhance your sense of well-being and who yeah. you are and... Yeah. And on a very kind of um, abstract, macro level, mm. um, you know, my first book is about, about a woman who who knows that they're on the wrong, basically knows that they're on the wrong path and, and, and their life isn't what they, it should be and what they want it to be mm-hmm. and there's something deeply wrong. So even on that level, I am writing, I am writing about my experience. Mm-hmm. I'm just filtering it through... Other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, but I'm, feeling, I'm feeling a real, like, a sense of empowerment at the moment that I've, I've never really felt before. It's a shame that um, Dave Lynn isn't here, actually, because I am quite fascinated. This does make sense. If, <laughs> I am quite fascinated about drag. I almost feel like, like you know, people talk about drag and the power you get in drag, and it's a way of, um, yeah. uh, I don't know, but sort of, because I've never done drag. Um, and so I would, I would have been quite interested to hear, hear, hear their take. But um, the reason I mentioned that, there was a reason I mentioned that. Um, yeah, I think it was about the empowerment I get from writing unashamedly about who I am. Um, you know the book. I've, the book I've just finished. and I'm about to to, to do another another edit on, uh, with with a view to. Well, my agent read it and said, "You're not exactly going out to Richard Osman's audience, are you?" And it's like, no, because I'm writing about myself. Um, anyway, we'll see. But um, yeah, so I'm I, I'm just now really starting to put myself into my work in a much more obvious and direct way, and it's and it's really um, surprising how. Uh, helpful I'm finding it well it seemed like you had a bit of a light bulb moment there when you were talking about it. you were like well actually maybe I am feeling that way now because of this book so maybe mm. maybe it's 
Yeah, I mean, um, without going into too much detail, but hey, we are here to talk. But like, you know, we haven't even talked about kink shaming and non-monogamy, people who, who don't mm -hmm. want a, a nice, monogamous, happy, gay mm -hmm. marriage, you know, uh, which we are, I think we're, as a community, and I say we in a very, you know, I know that's a loaded term, but as a community, we can be very, um, we can shame each other as well. Um, so yeah, that's what I've kind of, that's what I'm writing about is, is I wanted, my new book is a book about somebody who, who um, doesn't want monogamy and that isn't a problem. Mm. Um, you know, um, so yeah. I think it's really good. And I think, again, we need to keep speaking about that stuff. I'm sure I had real. a point that I haven't made very eloquently. I think eloquently. you've made the point, but I think it was, no, it's, I'm looking forward to reading it. Vinny, what about you? Do you remember yeah, the original I mean, question? I always... <laughs> I've talked for so long. <laughs> I, I we can like, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have found my writing to be a very cathartic release. Um, I mean, the reason I got back into writing was mainly because of that. Uh, it was half that and half, I want to improve my writing skills so one day I could write a piece of fiction. So I don't know how I got here. Um, but I have always found it really cathartic to write out my thoughts and feelings. I used to do a lot of very lengthy Facebook posts about I'm so upset over Brexit and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I was like, let me just get back into writing again. I, I mean, I used to shame myself for that as well. I used to go, I'm not good at this. Um, because it's so, it's so weird how much grades gets internalized, right? Of like, you got a higher grade in this than that, so you're bad at that. Um, and so I, I used to, yeah, I used, I used to write mainly just as a release to, to talk about my thoughts and feelings of certain things that I've experienced throughout my life or how I feel about a certain topic. Um, and then it used to resonate with people and that was always very rewarding in a way of, especially when people used to go, I, I re related to this, it meant something to me. Knowing that I wasn't alone also made me feel a bit, better about myself it made me feel less ashamed because i was like other people have dealt with this other people are going through this it's not something that i've only really had to deal with um and so you know i wrote my my coming out story and that was published in an anthology and that meant so much to kind of put that out there to really just go through all of the bullshit it took for me to even get to the point of coming out um when it came to this book um i didn't put a lot of myself in it. There's, there's, there's some parts of me in there, um, which you can find easily. I haven't disguised it. Um, and especially around the queer people of colour part, I'm in there a lot more. Um, but I try to let other voices come through. Um, but even that felt very cathartic to like put down other people's stories who felt similar to mine, who I could relate to. Someone would say something, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I felt that. Um, it, it definitely felt like a load off my mind to have other people read it. It felt like it was out there, it was gone. Um, sometimes I find it really difficult. It's why I often tweet really stupid nonsense stuff, which no one ever reads. But it's so often like, if I leave something in my brain, it just bumps around constantly. And I'm just like, oh my God, just... just down. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, sometimes that's so easy. And so, yeah, I, f I feel like writing has definitely alleviated this sort of burden, this weight on my shoulders, for sure. Yeah. 
I guess it's like journaling, but to a bigger audience. Yeah, <laughs> journaling, but you can read it. You can it. buy the journal. <laughs> what about you, Pierre? Um, yeah, it's been very liberating. And something I've noticed is that my whole life, really up until maybe a year or 18 months ago, I was looking for external validation, um, expecting to be rejected. But still, I was obsessed with, you know, contacting sort of, you know, some sort of gatekeepers, mm -hmm. whether they would be gallery owners or, you know, book publishers, whatever. Um, and now I'm really focusing on what I want to say, why I want to say it. Why, you know, so I'm really trying to sort of um, um, care more about what I think about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think that that's a big change because... Um, um, it takes a lot of the pressure away. And at the same time, it makes me enjoy what I'm doing a lot more. Mm -hmm. well, I guess shame kind of links to like doubt and the old imposter syndrome and questioning yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah. So when you can say, no, no, actually my voice is valid and my work's valid and I'm okay with it regardless of what anyone else thinks, I guess that's a, a massive step forward, isn't it? Yeah, it's, especially now when we can find, when thanks to technology, it's a lot easier now to find your tribe in a way so it's a lot it's a bit easier now to connect with people who are likely to like what you do what, what i do anyway yeah absolutely yeah instantly accessing an audience aren't you now it's um yeah it's really good thank you all so much that's the first half of the show so thank you all for your contributions that was amazing Can I have a big round of applause for my guests please the conversation doesn't stop here check out the next part of this podcast episode on your streaming platform you will not be disappointed I really hope you enjoyed the show. A big thank you once again to all my guests. Please share the podcast, give it a five-star review if you'd like, and leave any comments you may have. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for all the latest updates on Queer I Am, the podcast. Also, check out my website, www.fluiactually.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more and the best part about quince they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe ethical and responsible manufacturing elevate your style without the elevated price tag with quince go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.